one of the things that has helped uh, university students who are Christian persevere in the faith in those uh, secular years when they're in a uh, uh, in school, away from their parents, often away from their church. I, I've been told that um, there's one thing that, as they're surveyed, seems to help more than anything else. And at first, I thought, well, they probably find Christian professors or Christian groups, um, and those Christian groups hang out together because I know how important friends are. Uh, I, sometimes they read great books like uh, C.S. Lewis and Mere Christianity. Sometimes they find even Christian professors who say, in our science or in philosophy, believe me, God is everywhere. But that has not been the main answer. The main answer has been answered prayer. Time and time again, Christians who are university students, as they go away, uh, they say what helps them keep the faith, progress in the faith, is the fact that God, when we call on him, he answers our prayers. We are in a series right now where we are looking at what does it mean to be a friend of God? And we have a wonderful case study. His name is Abram, whose name is later changed to Abraham. And this case study is a man who really is pretty much all alone. Uh, his wife and his nephew and his nephew's family, uh, they seem to be okay in the faith, but they don't seem to be much of an encouragement in the faith. And so, in a way, in his faith, Abram is all alone. And what does it mean when it doesn't mean you have a lot of believing friends? How do you make God your friend? And by the way, God as a friend is probably a whole lot better than your believing friends, okay? Just want to say that. Nothing wrong with good believing friends, but I have found that uh, really God is better. So as we're looking at this case study in the second week, last week we looked at what does it mean to listen to God? And I asked you for some examples, and I got three or four, uh, all of them women. Thank you, ladies. Men, I, I know you're really busy. You just didn't have time, uh, and that's okay. Uh, but they, they came in, and some were just spectacular, one we're going to share with you next week. But, but others were just very common things where they see God in the very day-to-day type of situations. So in our case study today, knowing that Abram is in some ways alone, once you know that he has followed God and he's gone from uh, that uh, location, which is sort of at the uh, border of Syria and Turkey called Haran at the time, and then he finishes God's call and comes down into what we call Palestine, and yet he's uh, a man sort of alone because the cultures around him are, are pagan, and his family is not uh, able to encourage him that much. There he is alone, and it's there that God makes a promise of a great blessing to him. And we were looking at that, and he lives uh, believing this blessing because God has given it to him. This is the way God says, I'm going to deal with you in the years ahead. Well, he's already 75. He doesn't have any children, and he just keeps on believing that what God has said God will do. Well, what he really wants is kids. He says, I want children. And through the natural means with Sarai, his wife, children don't come. But the promise is, I'm going to give you children, or at least, as it turns out, a child. And that child is going to become a great nation. And more than that, I'm going to bless you in such a way that the entire world or all the nations of the world will be blessed. Well, 
Let's face it, that, that's a lot to believe when you don't have the beginning to start with. You don't have any children. So his desire is still to believe God's promise and to follow him. And Abram honors God, at believing God by erecting these things that we call altars. For him, it was just probably a pile of stones. But it's not so much what the altar was made of, but what it signifies. It signifies, like much of the music we sang this morning, that he has a place to go and develop that friendship with God. It's a place where he gives his offerings. It's a place where he listens to God. And it's a place where he talks to God. Another word for talking to God is very simply prayer. God's friends listen to God, but they also talk to God and they pray. Uh, these last two years, I've had the privilege of going to, uh, to some of the best seminars and conferences uh, in our country. I've gone to two or three of them, and I go to several, uh, uh, several of the ones right here in town. And, and, and as I go to them, I am just, my mind is expanded uh, in terms of there's so much out there in our culture and our world today that the church can use. Uh, let me give you ex- some examples. They've taught me great techniques and introduced me to wonderful new resources. They've updated my technology. I didn't realize you weren't sending away from my eight-track tape sermons anymore. What, what, what happened? You know, what, where'd that go? Um, uh, they're, they're doing so much more in terms of vision and, and helping you understand what's going on in, in, in your church and how you can help it move ahead. It's, it's wonderful. But as I go to these, I notice, and this is not a criticism so much as, as, as an observation, it's, they're just not geared to be doing this. I haven't seen thousands of people go away to a conference on prayer, how to talk to God, and I've not received one. Now, it doesn't mean that when I'm at these conferences, people don't pray, but it's not on prayer. And God's friends converse with God. If there's no talking to a friend, would you really say there's a friendship developing? What type of friendship would that be? So with Abraham this morning, uh, Abram, as he's still called, we have two instances where he is caught talking to God. And, and the whole conversation, you might say, is, is captured there. Uh, and so it's not just he went to this place where he prayed, but instead you see him at that, at that altar, that place where he gives his offerings and listens to God and talks to God. You see him there, and the conversation is recorded and, and, and in these conversations, he's not just talking about the little things, and we can talk to God about all the little things of our life, but he's talking about big things, about life-shaping things, life, life and death things, purpose of life things. And if you have any interest on, in going beyond just believing in a God and desire to develop a friendship with God, then let Abram be your life coach this morning. I'm in Genesis chapter 15, where this conversation occurs. After he has done his moving from the top of Syria down into Palestine or Israel, as we know it today, it says this about him. Uh, After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. And then Abram talks back. 
So it begins with God speaking to him. And my guess is at that place where he talks to God and listens to God and gives his offerings to God, he's at that place and it's nighttime because of the image that God uses. So while he's at that place, understand that these are the times in which God can reveal his will for you. Not just his will for humanity or his will for the universe and his creation, but his will for you. Uh, And what he desires most, children, he's at, at a moment where God is not yet delivered, but God speaks to him. And he tells them not to be afraid. Uh, he tells them that he is his very great reward, and it's very important here. It's not you're going to get a very great reward. God says, I am your great reward. Your friendship with me is the best reward you'll ever have. You're the relationship that you carry on with me will be, you will look back on that, and you will never have had anything better in your life. So he tells them not to be afraid, and God, uh, you know, we find out, continues to disappoint him regarding why he went on that journey. At the end of that journey and probably being in Israel, uh, what we now call Israel for a few more years, there are still no heirs. He's getting up in age. Uh, his wife Sarai is not getting any younger either. But God's next promise to Abraham is that he will both protect him and provide for him. He doesn't give it to anybody else. He gives it directly to Abraham himself, and it's what God does, not what Abraham's going to earn. So Abraham hears this promise. You know, I'm your reward. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm your shield and your very great reward. And Abraham says, fine, that's, thank you, Lord. Now listen to his response in verse 2. Oh, sovereign Lord, what can you give me? In other words, why give me more stuff? Since I remain childless, and the one who will inherit my estate is Eleazar, a servant of his, of Damascus. So apparently, as he made that, that horseshoe trip through the Fertile Crescent and down into Israel, in Damascus he picked up a, a servant by the name of Eleazar. He's become the chief servant of, <clears throat> of Abram. And so when Abram dies, and there's no one in, 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 to, leave the, uh, to leave all that he's uh, accumulated... Who gets it? Who gets it? He says, your servant does. Well, I know, realize you say, well, what about his wife? And what is she, chopped liver? Well, at that time, they're just not allowed to be the uh, ones, the, the heirs. And what he really needs is a son to pass it on to. So under the current, uh, you might say, cultural circumstances, Eleazar, the chief servant, gets it all. Now today, if you don't have any heirs, the government gets it all, and that's okay. Um, But neither would be attractive. Neither would cause me to want to live longer, work harder, uh, try to accumulate more. Uh, I would say, look, I I have enough. I'm just going to sit in my lazy boy chair for the rest of my life, watch Oprah and read and eat bonbons. And that will be a good life because... There'll be no return. There'll be no real strong reason to keep working. And God says, wait a minute. I'm going to make you two promises. Here's the first promise. You're going to have a son in your old age. The second promise is, not only are you going to have a son, but there's going to be countless offspring. Well, two generations later, his grandson Jacob would have 12 sons, and it was the beginnings uh, of the nation of Israel. And so God 
challenges him to look at the stars and to try to number them. Look up to the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. So shall your offspring be. Hey, in these summer nights, after it rains every day at three, okay, it starts to get clearer again up here. And as it gets clearer and the sun goes down, uh, the clouds break up for the evening and usually don't come back till about 10 in the morning. And one of those nights in which it was crystal clear, I was looking out my, my window, went out to my deck, and, and, and then through the, you know, the branches of the ponderosa trees, it was just bright with stars. And I don't go around saying, you know, counting, but there's more there than I can count. There's more there than we, than we can imagine. There was more in, in, in terms of where Abram was, where there was no other lights, no no shop lights, no car lights, no street lights, uh, probably just candles and tents, and, and even those had gone out. So Abram's out there alone at night, and he hears these promises, and he, and he hears, you're going to have more kids than you can count. And he's saying, well, let's see. I came here when I was 75. Um, I got here by the time I was 76. I'm now approaching 80, and still no kids. And not only me... But Sarai isn't getting any younger either. God makes his promises to Abram. And I want you to know Jesus makes his promises to you. If you take the time to read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and and, and you look through those, you see that Jesus talks to his followers and he's continually telling them, Here are some of the marvelous things that are going to happen because you have placed your trust in me and you're following me. Let me just list a few, and I'm not, uh, I'm just going to remind many of you, but for some of you, maybe this is worth listening to. The followers of Jesus uh, were given promises like this You will know my voice when I speak. My sheep know my voice. You will be able to discern between my voice and other voices. Abide in me and you can ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Ask your prayers because you'll be asking for the things I know I want for you. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And from that power, you'll be my witnesses. Uh, he says he cares about us and, and, and he, he wants to meet our needs. Uh, he says, I am with you until the end of the age in terms of your fears and your grief. And, and he says, I, I tell you, I, I'll even be telling you what to say when people challenge you about your faith. I, there's many more. But these are the promises of a loving heavenly father that he makes to his children. And for Abraham, the one promise that God makes and Abraham really wait, is waiting for it is a part that would not be fulfilled for almost 25 years. Once he is really old and dried up at a hundred. Um, and, and so Abram tries to grasp what it means. Lord, how long must I wait? When will the fulfillment come? It doesn't seem to be in sight. So he does not live to see the second part of, in terms of a nation from you and all the nations being blessed. But he lives long enough to see the first part. You will have a child. You will have a kid. He will come from your wife, though he tries other alternatives. The one that he has been waiting for comes when it is impossible to happen. 
These are the promises that God is, ma- God is making to, to Abram. And we shared some of the problems, promises that God is making to us through, through Christ. Another word for this sort of promise is the word covenant, a very important one in Scripture. There's like three different types of covenants in the Old Testament, and, 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 and they're very important to understand. But a, a, a covenant is basically a promise that is initiated by God, and, and God makes the covenant with Abraham that he would bless him and protect him and give him children and make his descendants into a great nation. It is a promise that God gives to Abraham because he loves him and he has chosen him to receive these promises. Such a covenant, understand, God still makes to his people today through his son Jesus. And the covenant will always tell us how great God is. That's the first thing. Understand that a covenant reveals to you God's greatness. And so we honor him with our hearts and our lives. But uh, the other thing that a covenant tells us is that God has purposes for us that maybe we weren't thinking about beforehand. That God has plans and thoughts and dreams for us that he would love to fulfill uh, through us. And don't worry, it doesn't mean you have to go to seminary for three years or, or find yourself in a monastery. That's not what it's talking about. But as you live, trusting in the covenants that God is making, then uh, he will fulfill them. And you will find that your life has greater purpose than it did before. I'm a great example of that. Uh, growing up until uh, Christ became real to me in my life, Uh, I can remember if anybody would have asked me, Jim, what do you want for your life? I want to be better off financially, materially, than the home I'm growing up in. Uh, My dad brought us into middle class, but still the most often repeated phrase in my home was, we can't afford it. I simply thought, okay, a good goal would be able to be well enough off so that I could say, sure, I can afford that. Look at my kids. Yeah, let's do it. We can afford that. And to keep saying, you know, there's going to be enough there to afford it. I want to say this. There's nothing wrong with desiring more. That's not evil. It's just very small. I want to put it this way. For me, it was very self-centered. And God wasn't in the picture. And uh, I have found that when God, through his son Jesus, came into the picture, things began to change. And I realized, Lord, the money isn't coming in, but the blessings are. Ask Barb how often I say, we can't afford it. Five, six times an hour? I don't know. It, it's really often, and believe me, I'm paid well, and, and that's not the issue. I'm, I'm not poor. But, but you know, we're living in a culture in which there's always more around that we can afford. But how are you doing with the purposes of God for your life? How is that going? Has he revealed to you some things that maybe uh, would be bigger, better, not so small? Uh, I think one of the great things that he has told me is, I want you to have an influence so that more people will be following Jesus Christ in their lives. 
And I want you to have that influence, not just because you get up and speak every Sunday morning and you spend your your day, you know, reading and studying and writing, but because you have relationships in this world. And I want those relationships to be the base of more followers and better followers of Jesus. Now, I, you know, you got to compare these. Would you rather have more stuff or more followers? And you got to weight them. Now, most of us would say, can't we have both? Yeah, probably. Many of us do. But if you were to have one or the other, what would it be? I believe that by being involved in this covenant that God has made with Abraham, in a way, I'm joining in with the vision he gave to Abraham so that all the peoples of the world will be blessed through him. I've been blessed through him as the, you might say, the first recognized historical believer that we have and and, and how he continued to believe God even before uh, he could see it fulfilled. I believe I'm I'm, I'm a part of that and I'm, I'm joining in with him. I'm partnering with Abraham so that the number of, of uh, followers of Jesus on this earth would be greater than the number of stars in the heaven. I like that purpose. What's yours? What is the big thing that you're growing out of? I mean, we have to look at our kids and we have, we have to look at our homes and our communities as well as the world. And, and, and so those things are important. But... Is among the most important purposes you have passing on a faith to those in your home. To influencing them to be followers of Jesus. I want to say this, almost anything else is smaller in comparison. So that's the first conversation. You're going to have a son. Uh, you're going to have a nation. And all the peoples of the every nation will be blessed through what is happening with you right now about 2300 B.C. There's a second conversation that he has with God that is really amazing. And I know as you read this, you've got to understand the literature of it. And you go, oh, really? Yeah, I think it really happened. Here's what happens. He has a, a visitation of three heavenly beings. And they, re, they repeat the promise that within a year, uh, Sarai now has come to fruition. Sarai is going to have that child. Well, other things happen, and, and they're about ready to leave, and one looks back at him and says of these three visitors, shall we tell him what we're about to do? And he hangs around, and he sort of asks what's, what's going to happen. And he says, I'm going to destroy Sodom. Listen very carefully, because I want to bring in just a little bit of science, uh, historical science before we go any further. When he says, I want to destroy, or I'm going to destroy Sodom, there are several places around the Dead Sea that we have unearthed. These are mounds that we just go deeper and deeper on. And what usually happened is, uh, <clears throat> you know, there was this civilization, but before that there was this civilization and this civilization. Sort of like Seattle and San Francisco and Los Angeles. You know, we just build on top. And those civilizations or those towns get destroyed. So we just build right on top of them again. Well... In several of these places, uh, and especially one in particular, they have found that it was destroyed, people left, and they came back. Destroyed again, people left, and they came back. Destroyed again, people left, and they came back. Destroyed again, and finally humanity got smart. Let's not go there. 
One of those, what we think is Sodom in the area of Sodom and Gomorrah, was destroyed because of the ash levels uh, of that. And it was right at the time of Abram's life. Uh, the ash levels showed that there was a both an earthquake and a huge fire that destroyed the city. But it also shows that they came back 100 years later. And it showed that they came back probably 100 years after that. And then suddenly, nobody ever comes back. There are places right there where Abram is that were destroyed. So historically, we believe that to be true. But here's what happens spiritually. So Abram enters a second conversation with God and, and as God visits him. And, and the issue is, I am going to destroy, God's uh, messengers say, I'm going to destroy Sodom because of its wickedness. And it's a picture of God's justice. Now, the, the picture of justice is being changed slightly, and, and it's not that one is right or the other is wrong. They're both really accurate. Today, as we look at the picture of God's justice, we look at the victims, and we say justice is restoring the victims to what they should have. So we look at the those who have suffered and lack justice, and we say we're going to restore their lives, give them what they should have. But God's justice also includes punishing those who are wicked. Friends, you got it. I'm sorry. That's just what it means to be created in, in, in his children. That, that, that's what it means. So uh, we have to understand that it's just not a, a matter of setting victims free, but it's a matter of putting wrongdoers uh, into prison or uh, you know, causing them to, uh, to pay for the crimes that they've committed. So there are victims as a part of justice, but there's also the victimizers, the abusers, those who take advantage of the poor, those who use people, those who sell people to others. This was the nature of Sodom. And so God would judge that evil society, and Abram, God's friend, was told that it was just about to happen. Now, living there at that time, because of a a, a separation between uh, Abram and his uh, nephew Lot, Lot moves in the area of Sodom, then at the gates of Sodom, and is now living in Sodom with his family. And so as he's living there, and Abram hears, this is what you're going to do, Abram, because he's God's friend, talks to God. This is the most amazing conversation. He begins this way. He says, Lord, there he is at his altar. He says, would you sweep away the wicked with the righteous? For the sake of, Lord, 50 righteous, would you destroy the whole city? And God answers back, no, for 50, I won't. Do you see the prayer conversation going on here? He says, Lord, you know, please forgive me. I mean, I'm not trying to be a pastor or anything like that. But let me ask, if there were 45, can you just, you know, it's like buying a car. Is that the lowest price you can give me? Just the opposite. But if, if there were 45 righteous people, would you still destroy it? Would you just sweep away the whole city? And God says, not for 40, 45. So Abram says, I'm on a roll here, Lord. Uh, we're friends, right? We're friends. Would you do it for 40? Okay, 40. 30? 
Okay, 30. 20. Okay, 20. One last time, Lord. 10. Okay. In my prayers, I'm often like David in the Psalms. Lord, kill my enemies any way you want. Sooner the better. They deserve it. I'm good. They're bad. Please, would you do it now? God's friend, instead, looks at his enemies, the ones that distrust him, the ones that he does not want to spend time with. He looks at his enemies and he prays for God's mercy. You see, God is just and God is merciful. The two come together. If God's not just, he's not God. And if God's not merciful, he's not God either. It is a perfect match of getting what we deserve and not getting what we deserve. That's the nature of our God. And so... Abram, even though he realizes everything that this city deserves, he pleads that God would show his mercy. Are you a mercy prayer? Uh, I'm a mercy receiver. I found out after I became a Christian that there were about six high schoolers that knew me in my high school that were praying for me every Sunday morning. Now, I don't know if they said, well, would you save these four, but Jim, he's just not there yet. You know, I don't know if they were going Jim first and then the others. But I do know this, that years later when they were sharing about that group or where they were praying that God would become clear to these high school students, they could say about eight out of ten that they knew of that they were praying for weekly became Christians, and I'm one of them. I'm a receiver of mercy, not God's justice. So as a receiver, I also want to be one who is a prayer. And though people would be ones that maybe hurt me or, or you know, uh, uh, victimize me or people who... You are God's friend if you were gotten to that point where you were praying not just for God's justice but for his mercy on people. Uh, <clears throat> so which is most natural for you? Mercy or justice? Which is the easiest for you to strike back with? Which is the easiest when Jesus says, turn the other cheek? Is it that? Or is it give him your fist? So, so today as we think of, okay, as God's friends today, as we translate what Abram went through and what we're supposed to be experiencing, how does God tell us to be his friend today? In 1 Thessalonians 5, 7 to 8, 17 to 18, he says, Pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, all circumstances, all circumstances, all of them, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. God's friends continually talk to God, and Jesus' followers are told, pray continually, be in that conversation with God. And over the years, I have sat alone and in circles of friends, and sometimes I must admit I have been at a loss of knowing how to pray or what to pray, but it should be a conversation. So in a conversation with anyone, I can say I'm speechless. That's okay. 
But I'm not always speechless because to keep a friendship, you are in constant conversation. And it is the God of the universe to whom I'm talking, so I'm a bit humbled. It's not just like my friend who I played basketball with. But I, I, you know, over the years, I've picked up many very simple uh, systems of prayer. And the easiest one I keep coming back to is the acronym called ACTS, A-C-T-S, Adoration, Confession, uh, uh, Thanksgiving, and, and Supplication or Request. And, and as I go through these, I realize that when it comes to the issue of confession, uh, that's very difficult for me. When it comes to the issue of adoration, that's difficult for me. Giving thanks, I'm a blessed person. It's very easy for me to, to, to be thanking God for all that he's done. Giving him my request, that's very easy. But when you get to those first two, adoration and confession, that's where I have to stop and say, Lord, teach me. And when I do that, God often says yes. Let me just share what happened this week because I want to be a person who practices what I teach and I practice it before I've given it to you and tell you, you go do it, I won't. Uh, it's better if I do it and then help you do it. I'm thinking, Lord, I, I can't think of much that I've done wrong to confess. But I've got some people around me who I wish would confess. <laughs> And I realize that having been in this church for now 18 years, there's some people that I know very well. And, and of those people, the closer I get, the more aware I am of their weaknesses, their failures, and whatever. And it's much easier to be aware of them and their weaknesses and failures than it is mine. Isn't that easy? I mean, for me it is. Uh, And so the problem is, is that I begin to look at those people, not in terms of how God is using them, but how has God used them with me, okay? Uh, What what have been the times in which we've had friction or the times we've said things that we're sorry about or the times we've we've asked them to do something for us and they don't do it? And you you get a whole list of these things. And I'm thinking, well, what's the nature of that? And the nature of that we saw last night. Uh, I saw it last night. Um, Peyton Manning is you know, about ready to get the ball. He notices that uh, one of the uh, safeties is giving a lot of lip to the players, but he also notices that that same safety uh, is limping just a little bit. So he tells this receiver, I want you to go to this guy's zone. You're going to get this ball. Touchdown. He goes to the receiver next time. Same receiver, same uh, safety. Says, I want you to go to this one. Throws it to him again. Touchdown. That's called competition. That's football. And many of us would say, that's life. That's the way life works. If you don't beat them, somebody else will and you'll be the loser. But when we're in the body of Christ, when we're the people of God, and we understand we're called to be God's friend, first with him and then with those around us, here's the conclusion I came to. Lord, I'm spending more time on how they've disappointed me than how they've been used by you. And I confessed. And I said, you know, uh, this has been building up for quite a while, hasn't it? And um, I seem to remember more 
how they've dealt with me in the ways I wouldn't prefer than how you have used them. In fact, I'm struggling to remember how you're using them. I'm just agreeing with God. Lord, change me. Change my attitude. Change me in such a way in which I am focusing first on you and them and what they are doing among us and all the gifts you're putting in them and all the ways that they are following you and obeying you and, 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 and worshiping you. Those are the things that I want to focus on. And to do that, you're going to have to forgive me. So I want to say, if you're serious and you look at adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication, and you say, teach me more about confession, be very careful. Because he probably will. And I don't consider that a bad thing, unless, of course, we're playing basketball. Or I'm throwing the ball, and I see you limping. There is a time for competition. But not here. Not now. So here's what I think we want to close with. I don't know where you are in terms of your relationship with God. Some of you may still be struggling with just believing that there is a God, and that's fine. You're in process, and we'd love to continue that discussion with you. But if you're also one who said, I've gone through that, I believe there is a God, I I have put my trust in Jesus Christ, and and I have received the forgiveness and, and, and the eternal life that he has offered, now I want to develop that friendship with God. I want to be God's friend. Well, he's telling you, talk to me. Go ahead, just let's talk. I'll be talking. It's a conversation. Listen, but talk to me. And you can do that. Let's pray. Almighty God. What shamelessness Abram had. 50 to 10. What confidence he had in his relationship with you. What an amazing friendship he must have had to be able to ask so boldly, even almost apologizing as he did, but asking in your nature that your mercy would fall on a city that deserves destruction. Lord, I want to pray like that. I want to know you in such a way that I can be praying for people to receive your mercy. And I give you permission to tell me the hard things about me that have to be dealt with before I'll be doing that sort of prayer in my friendship with you. And that I ask also that you'd be showing me more of your greatness so that you would become bigger and I'd become smaller. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name, God's people said. Amen.